Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Really appreciate you making us a part of your day again today. I'm very pleased to be continuing our series with our partners, the Medical Association of Georgia, and uh, joined in studio, as I have been on a number of occasions, by the Executive Director and CEO of Medical Association of Georgia, Donald Palmasano, Jr., Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And you brought with you Marcus Downs, the Director of Government Relations. Great to be here. I appreciate you coming back. It's uh, been a little while since we had you here. And you all brought a guest with you. You want to introduce him to us? Absolutely. We've brought with us uh, Rick Jaspers, Representative Rick Jaspers. He's a member of the House. He represents the 11th District uh, here in Georgia. Um, That includes Pickens, Gordon, and Bartow counties. Um, I could say a ton of things about him, but some of the most important things is he's a Georgia Bulldog, University of Georgia alum, and uh, he's vice chair of the House Health and Human Services Committee. Uh, One of the things that we appreciate about Representative Jaspers is his his deliberate approach during committee meetings. Uh, He's very thoughtful, and he is uh, definitely a seeker of the truth when it comes to what's happening not only in healthcare but around the legislature. So we're really, really excited to have him with us. And I'm, I'm very pleased to meet you here in the studio, so thanks for taking some time. I'm sure you've got a few things going on, so making time to join us here is much appreciated. Well, it's, it's great to be here in Atlanta. You know, um, I'm from Jasper, up in the pretty mountains. Yeah. Uh, the mountains begin. I love it up and, there. Um, a lot of folks do, and we just enjoy being here and trying to share what we did in the legislature this year with you guys and uh, make, probably explain some of why we did it and what we did and what was important and looking forward to the future. And before we get into that, Take us back a little bit. Uh, walk us through kind of what brought you to where you are here now with your role in the state legislature. Well, I had the, I was the county agent, agricultural agent, in uh, Pickens County for 29 years. And I retired, and by the predecessor for me, Congressman Tom Graves, stepped out, and I ran for his position back five years ago yesterday. And so uh, it's been a great experience. Um, started out on a number of different committees, but... After the first two years I was in the legislature, I looked at the committee's structure that I was on, and then I looked at my community, and I said, what's important? Now that I've been here for two years, and so I changed all of my committees except one, and of course that's agriculture, and I wanted to be on health. I wanted to be on human relations and aging. I wanted to be in the public safety, the things that are important, education appropriations. And so I got on all those in the last three sessions, and it's been enlightening because mm-hmm. those are the issues. Those five things are important. That's kind of where we live. It is. And it's the day-to-day things that people think are important. And I, and the one thing about the General Assembly and being on a committee is that's where the work's done. And uh, and that's what I've come to appreciate, uh, that's the ground-level learning, looking what this needs to be done in Georgia, and then implementing it. And so it's been a great experience, and, uh, and I've enjoyed being in health. Health's been a part of my life all my life. I grew up in a small town pharmacy, uh, the one that had the soda fountain and all that <laughs> yeah, kind of good too, stuff. Yeah, me too, Missouri. And yeah. uh, Kingsport, Tennessee, and uh, my dad was the pharmacist there, and it was just a great experience of learning how to care for people and learning to respect 
where people come from, no matter where they come from. And uh, I credit my dad for getting me here today. Well, that's really cool. And I think it's great for folks to have a little idea of kind of where somebody comes from when they're uh, voting people into office. They're going to go represent them. I think getting to know that they're they're a person with a story just like us. Um, Sometimes I think you can feel like uh, the folks that are working in the legislature are kind of over there, you know, and not necessarily from our backyard. And and it's nice to know a little bit about from when somebody came to uh, uh, get a better feel for what they're all about. Yeah, the people that are from our communities know us. <laughs> yeah, I bet so, yeah. <laughs> they know you drive a pickup truck every day and you carry your dog around in it and all the good stuff like that. And yeah. I wear grew- overalls. And <laughs> I grew up in a town, uh, about 1,800 people, Houston, Missouri. I'm sure all of you have heard of it. Um, but uh, much the same. A small community and uh, people know people. And um, and so, you know, when somebody is operating with integrity, that was going to go a long ways in a community like that. So I'm very pleased to have you here with us. So you want to talk a little bit, Marcus, about uh, get in, let's get into some of the things that have been happening because a few things have, have happened since we had you here last month. So let's, let's get into the fiscal year 2015 or legislative year 2015. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's been a really exciting year uh, for medicine. You know, I'd love to say for the Medical Association of Georgia, but for the entire House of Medicine, um, you know, I probably would like to ask Representative Jaspers the first question and ask if he'd comment. You know, for, for all of the listeners, the legislative session is a 40-day session. Uh, most people don't know that. Uh, you probably could never imagine that 40 days uh, can actually be stretched from January to April. Um, <laughs> but, but it's always a really interesting time. And so, you know, as someone who works with you uh, regularly, you know, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective. Uh, if there were three words that you could use to describe the 2015 legislative session, how would you how would you describe it? And it's specifically about health. Yes. Sir. And you know the other issues that I deal with too. I think number one, it was interesting, and because it, in the Health and Human Services Committee, every week is something new, and it's different. And um, because it's such an intrinsic, deeply woven part of mm-hmm. every Georgian's life. Um, it's very interesting. And then, uh, if you're like me, you're a lifelong learner, you like reading, you know, my wife watches TV and I read. And so it's been real, this is what was really good, I think, in this particular session. And I think about the things we did was prevention. Mm-hmm. You know, the bills that we passed, a lot of them were related around prevention. I can talk about them. And protection, you know, the protection of the citizens and what the little things that we, that we came up with are on our own and that our clientele and different groups brought to us to help make the health care and health of Georgians better. We have a strong chairman, Chairman Cooper, who does a great job ferreting out the bills and working on them and then working with us to make sure we understand them and, and allowing us to change and adapt them to how we want them to be as they go through the system between us and then the Senate and then to the governor. But I, as I just thought about them, you know, just mulling about this last night, how you do, you think about stuff when you go to bed, when you right. got to do yep. something yep. like this during the day. You like our House Bill 47. They're just little things that are going to change somebody's lives. And this one just allows for the refills of you know, certain topical ophthalmic products you know, before the day that the prescriptions ends. And, you know, it protects those folks who may drip a drop a little bit too much getting it out if you're older and you try to drop that drop in your eye and you might miss um, – your prescription might be, it may, your bottle may be. You empty. run out too soon. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to allow them to go and get a, a refill. It's going to cost them. It'll train them after they pay for a couple of sure. these to be a little bit more careful, but they're not going to be without. 
And so we look at all the different little things we do. Those are little structural issues we change that help make the lives of Georgians better. And uh, that's just on protection. You know, we did one for albuterol in schools, you know, to allow them to have that in schools in certain instances with folks. Because, you know, asthma is on the rise. We know it is. It's going to allow the schools to have it just in case something happens. It's going to be good. And the same thing, you know, with EpiPens in bigger areas and camps, restaurants, et cetera, who want to go through the process of learning how to use them appropriately. Those protect Georgians. So those organizations, you're saying like schools and restaurants and so forth, will actually have the ability to have like a kit, if you will, that would, if someone is apparently having an anaphylactic reaction, that they might be able to administer an epi shot that could potentially save their life. Boom, right there. We passed that two years ago. Now we're expanding that into some other areas, especially camps. And um, believe it or not. Bee stings and things like that. Yeah, believe it or not, I had to take kids to camp for 30 years. And we went to Rock Eagle 4-H Center for the most part of the time. It's down at Edenton. World's biggest 4-H camp is here <laughs> oh, in Georgia. Wow. And I remember the first time I saw an EpiPen. And, you know, that was kind of struck me a little bit of fear because I had a kid who could have a terrible, ac- you know, reaction. And so knowing what I knew, I was a big proponent of, yes, let's, let's move on this. Let's make this happen because you never know what's going to happen to a kid. And it could be their first showing of this uh, reaction. So you're, you're able to deal with it. And a lot of camps are out of the way. You know, they're 20, 30, 40 miles from the nearest hospital. And so this that's one of those real neat little things that we did that protect Georgians. And I would assume that some measure of these topics kind of come through interaction, for example, with uh, issues being raised by physicians in the community, for example, and other entities, schools, clearly, uh, Medical Association of Georgia being able to, you know, say, hey, we've identified some of these issues, and, uh, you know, because clearly not everybody in the legislature comes from a medical background. So to be able to get input on these, this is why this is important. This is how it's impe- uh, affecting our citizens. Uh, I assume there's some kind of collegiality and some interaction there that would help you identify some of those things that you can then begin to act upon. I want to say absolutely before Barkas answers, because, <laughs> you know, because I, I tell this to people all the time, you know, there's 180 of us in the general assembly and we come from every conceivable background. Right. And on the health committee, there is too. And we rely on the confident sound advice of people like Mag and other groups to help us make an appropriate decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm not afraid to, like, on Sunday at church, local family physician came up to me and had an issue. You know, he wanted me to understand this is just this past Sunday. And that's how the best of it works, mm-hmm. if you're open and you listen. And I think that's the strength I bring to that committee and that part of leadership is I want to learn. I want to listen. And then we want to find the solution and work together and because in, in any of these things, you're usually taking something from somebody, giving it to somebody else, and you've got to find that balance right. where it's appropriate. And, and it's hard sometimes. Sometimes we can't find it. Right. We, we have to do what we want to do or need to do. But we've got to try to work at it. And we rely on each other tremendously and other committee members who may have experience in a different subject matter. I'm to them as they are to me. And uh, which is a very good system that we have there. I like Marcus to you. Yeah, I, uh, my first job in life was actually working in the General Assembly, and 
in North Carolina, and uh, it was there that I realized that uh, the importance of having a citizen legislature, and uh, and nobody knows absolutely everything about anything that ever was, and um, and that's where organizations like the Medical Association and other organizations really uh, come into play. Um, obviously, we we have a position that we would like to present. But, uh, you know, as we share time and time again, I think what makes the Medical Association of Georgia's position so unique is that we have, uh, we have a very diverse membership. And one of the things that I have great confidence in when I go and speak with Representative Jaspers or the chair of any committee or any legislator is the fact that I have heard from both sides of the opinion. And so I've got people who absolutely love something and I've got people who absolutely hate it. And at the end of the day, I can take Representative Jasper's information that I know has, has been fully and responsibly vetted. And so it's not just a one-sided, we like this because. Right. You know, it's got a good, even, a good, even approach. And at the end of the day, we've come out with something that, um, that is the real reason of compromise. I mean, both sides are uncomfortable at the end of the day. Yeah, and I guess that's what compromise is kind of about. You know, you, you both feel like, ah, I didn't get everything I wanted. So. Right. But I guess that's the best way because re- I always say the truth is in the middle. And, you know, there's uh, as it relates to political matters, for example, there's clearly, you know, multiple uh, ideas about how things should, should come out. So you have to try to craft a solution that's going to meet the needs of most of us. Um, so I'm sure that's a challenging task. I would, I've never had the opportunity yet to be around that process. I would, I, I would love to do that sometime to be able to kind of see the, the, those discussions underway. I'm sure some of them are contentious, but I mean, but at the same time to be able to see how does this all come together and, uh, to see, you know, just what level of information that we're looking at as we're trying to make, uh, an educated decision uh, that will, you know, as we've talked about on a number of issues, have wide-ranging impacts. Uh, but it sounds like this year already a lot of, you know, amazing things have been achieved and, and to the benefit of patients, things that will help move um, toward the uh, prevention of the uh, drug, uh, prescription drug abuse, for example. That, that, you know, it sounds like there was some progress in that way and others. So you want to kind of get down into some of the some of the things that we've gotten to? Well, well sure. Um I can go back to talking a little bit about those three words for just a second. I decided sure. to just kind of, uh, you know, because we did things about prevention too, you know, because I think we all agree prevention saves us all money in mm-hmm. the big budget mm-hmm. that we deal with for any kind of healthcare expenses. And, you know, one that uh, this is a question Marcus asked me the other day is what surprised you? And I guess when I was sitting in the committee and I was talking with the chairman Cooper about this bill, it's House Bill 436. It's Valerie Clark's. And, you know, it's about HIV. And that and it surprised me. And I was th- and this is one of those prevention things that really I went, well, this is a good bill. On the surface, you kind of, some of us you might, who might not deal with it all the time, it kind of hold, you kind of step back. But when you looked at it, hey, it was a good thing. And, you know, we had some members we had to talk to and say, hey, this is important. You need to vote for it. And because they didn't understand it, but but what this one did, it would just allow physicians and really enforce and encourage them to offer HIV and syphilis testing to women in the third trimester of their pregnancy. Because if we could find it out then, we can deal with it then ahead of 
birth and do a more effective and, and do better for everyone. And, and that was a hard one to sell, you know, because people don't understand all the little ins and outs of it. But surprisingly, it, it was an important one to me that, that really prevented and saved us money you know, as healthcare providers. As I forget the number of, of births that Georgia finances, but it's an astronomical amount, and it would just help. And, you know, just, um, you know, 504, which I know we'll talk about in a minute on the flu vaccine protocol, um, you know, we talked about this prescribing epinephrine. And one and a little unusual one that was Senate Bill 194 that came from the Senate was allowing the direct sh- shipment of disalit. <laughs> so I didn't say it right. Disalit. Dis- <laughs> Drugs to consumers. I, I wish I could them. help you out. <laughs> Is it dialysis? Dialysis. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably the, the what you're dialysis. going for. Dialysis. Yeah. yeah. You just allow the shipment of those directly to the patient, so they've got it. And it worked, you know, because these things are bulky and they're liquid. And, yep. And it, mm-hmm. it worked great. You know, and that was another educational moment for the committee to learn about these. What do they look like? How do we do it? Were we opening up a big door or a small door? And so there's a lot of education that goes on in these committee meetings. So, and if you've ever been, and I, I will make sure I invite you to come, just to witness, you know, how the the experts come and testify to us. We're able to ask them any question. Uh, the committee is a very open committee where you can ask any question you want to. If you're a member of anybody that comes up there to testify, and so you'll see some great questions, very probing questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I like Chairman Cooper allowing. You know, I've always been of this thing, uh, learning to ask people questions. The first one's the easiest one. The second one, if you're on the same subject, is a little harder. Mm-hmm. And the third question, you finally get what you've asked for. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah, so, right. and then we see the same thing in the committees, the different ones I'm on. You, you, and she gives enough rope to allow that third question. Let people on the committee uh, really find out what they need to know to feel comfortable with it. So they can vote for it, or if they want to, vote against it. Well, it sounds like the more information you're able to glean from these experts, then you're going to be able to make that much more of an educated choice. And and you know, one of the things that uh, that we see with a piece of legislation, whatever it may be, sometimes there's going to be unintended consequences uh, if you don't get into it very deeply before it gets there. So to be able to do that, to be able to talk to these experts to the extent that you're describing would probably prevent some measure of that, or yeah. at least mitigate those to some degree. Well, and true. I think, um, I think Marcus and the Medical Association and other interest groups will see during a committee meeting, sometimes we'll table a bill just to hold it, They'll see the questions. They'll say, "Hey, Rick, you need to chase this rabbit. You know, you, this is what's important about this bill, not this thing over here. This is the important part. And you know, maybe we need to change another part to make it right. But that's the beauty of having lobbyists and interest groups being able to interact with you all day, you know, in the evening if you need to, whenever, so we can get that. And also, you know, we have a constituency." You know, my 54,000 people, my wife likes to say, are in tune, mm-hmm. and they are on me. And if, you know, if we're in there discussing something on health care, you know, I've got numerous doctors in my who will know Rick's cell phone number, and are they're free to call me. And they do, I mean, which is nice, because they trust me. We have the interaction to be able to do that. But And then I can explain to them exactly what the bill's doing or what it isn't, or they haven't read it usually. They've gotten an email blast from a fellow 
person, could be a physician, could be not. So we have to really educate them, too, on what the bill really does. We've been talking with Vice Chair of the House Health and Human Services Committee, Representative Rick Jaspers, and then, of course, from Medical Association of Georgia, Doc Donald Pomisano, Jr. and Marcus Downs, and uh, learning a little bit about the current legislative year and some things that have been going on. And you were talking a moment ago how you all were focusing on prevention, and you mentioned the HIV and syphilis, and something I learned yesterday that I wasn't aware of. I was sitting down with Dr. Kennedy from the – he's the commissioner for the uh, uh, Georgia – or I'm sorry, Cobb and Douglas Department of Public Health, and I didn't realize that Georgia ranks so high in the rate of occurrence for syphilis, for example, and some other diseases like that. So any measures that we can take that are going to either, whether they're simply education or, 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 you know, community resources that might help someone be able to seek treatment so that they're able to avoid some of the more costly and devastating effects of some of those diseases down the road if we didn't prevent it or at least catch it early. It's, it's good, good to know that we're thinking about those things legislatively that will help put in, in place the resources that will, you know, facilitate that. I, I was shocked when I realized that, that we were in that, in that zone. And it's funny how um, paths cross in this world. So Chairman Cooper and I were talking about this exact issue sometime in February and I live with my daughter when I'm at the legislature. You know, it's a long way from Jasper sure. to here, you know, especially the traffic in the morning. And um, that night, we're, I'm telling Mary Alice uh, what's going on in the legislature. And she goes, well, I just read this in the New York Times. You need to read this. And it's uh, something I'm going to pursue a little bit next year, I hope. And it's to allow a physician, when they treat young man, young woman, they see them in their office with syphilis or gonorrhea, the ability to write two prescriptions not one, but then allow them to take it to their partner and share with them the fact that they may have this disease. Well, you get reinfected. Get, yeah. <laughs> and then they can treat it. Yeah. That crossed that night. I mean, Chairman Cooper and I talked about Interesting. it. And then that night, Mary Alice flips open. She goes, you ain't going to believe this article. I was going to hand this to you tonight. So that's one of those interesting things that, that's out there. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, right. to see that Marcus, they're all rolling their eyes now. Hmm, what's Rick <laughs> up to? So... But we'll, you know, but that's part of the discussion we'll have. You know, and I'll sit down with them and others and say, is this possible in Georgia, considering Georgia law and what we allow folks to do? So, but that's fun. And, and when those type of issues arise, what makes it really interesting from our perspective is that at our House of Delegates, which brings 200 physicians together, it's our policymaking body, we're able to bring these type of issues. So we were contacted about this. Uh, we know a group is going to put a resolution into our House of Delegates so that the physicians can debate it and, and, and really give their input as to um, what they would believe would be good medical care, how do, how do you move an issue like this forward, and then, but also to look at some of the unintended consequences. Yeah. And that's the real challenge that yeah. we have because we're, we're not physicians, Mar Marcus and I, but when we have the input of 200 to 250 physicians that say, well, did you think about this? Right. Then we can bring it back to the, to the legislators and say, well, this is what the doctors are telling us. And that goes back to, you know, how do we make sure that the patients are protected at the end of the day and that right, the right health policy is being debated at, right. at, at, the, at the General Assembly? Because yeah. you don't want a cobbled up laws, yeah. especially in something as um, – 
personal and impactful as healthcare. And I think that's what we all try to work on. And one of the things that we face, uh, you know, I know your constituents will echo the same thing. I'm part of a physician practice, uh, you know, that uh, that makes this particular show possible. And, and compliance is, depending on, you name the, the disease state or whatever illness that we're trying to treat or prevent, compliance is a, a huge part of that. So the more able a physician, for example, is to be able to implement and follow the line of a law uh, to do their to do their thing, and the more likely they're going to be compliant with it, and, and the more likely a patient is going to be able to follow along with what's being recommended. So I think simplicity as it relates to uh, you know legislation where possible is probably going to help that a lot. Yeah, clarity and simplicity is a big thing. I'm on public safety, and you know that's an important thing in that committee. Clarity, easy to understand, just as in this one is. Anything kind of leap out as a surprise uh, in the outcomes so far with regards to health legislation this year? I can't say there were a lot of surprises, at least from our end. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I really appreciated was being able to work in coalitions with other stakeholder organizations this year. Uh, I think it helps establish and build credibility of, of your organization and uh, with your stakeholders and with legislators, you know, I hope that they uh, will look to that type of activity and realize that um, one group isn't trying to overpower another. Um, you know, we we had a lot of happy moments this year. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to tell you, you know, there was a, a bill, House Bill 416, which uh, we worked on for two years at MAG. And uh, it's affectionately known as the name tag bill. Uh, some states call it a transparency bill. Some states label it a truth in advertising bill. Uh, but but the, the general premise of the bill is that healthcare providers need to wear identifying information so that the patient is aware of who's actually providing their treatment. And so in Georgia, we dubbed ours the Patient Consumer and Information Awareness Act. And it is simply something that says when I'm dealing with an orthopedist, I know that I'm dealing with an orthopedist and not a physical therapist. When I'm dealing with an ophthalmologist, I know that I'm dealing with an ophthalmologist and not an optometrist. And it simply requires that professional uh, to display uh, their credentials either on a badge or it might be stitched into their lab jacket. I think what you'll find is most facilities already have this in place. Uh, but it, it it was not codified until today. Uh, the what, governor signed it into law. What was the what was the big driving force behind making that a uh, one of our one of our laws? Were there some problems that were happening that uh, that that created that? Yeah, uh, the American Medical Association actually conducted uh, three surveys, uh, at a minimum three surveys, uh, since 2008, dating back to 2008. And those surveys inquire whether or not patients were aware of who was providing their health care, uh, whether or not the patient knew the level of their health care provider's training, whether or not they knew their credentials. Uh, it came back overwhelmingly that patients did not know, and I'll stick with, with my, one of my examples, they did not know the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist. Um, in Georgia and in every other state, there are different uh, limits to scope of practice sure. that say an optometrist can, can engage in. Uh, they cannot do surgery. They cannot use a laser. Um, you know, the, the bill even goes as far as advertisements. And I can tell you there have been numerous times when 
I've driven on the road and, you know, I may see an advertisement that says, oh, itchy eyes, watery eyes, scratchy eyes, come to the Georgia Eye Center. Well, you don't know whether you're going to an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. And so you get there and you may be expecting one type of treatment, but then you have to get referred I see. to another group. So you've incurred some costs that you might have been able to avoid. Potentially. If you knew better. Uh, you know, I know uh, I worked in the hospital for a long time in nursing myself, and being a man, every time I walked into a room, if if it wasn't readily visible, uh, you know, because if a name tag flips around or whatever the case, because we always had to wear name tags too, but it was always assumed that it was a physician. Um, and... You know, I, I do see some value in terms of being able to, for a patient and family to advocate on their behalfs uh, with that kind of information because um, you might be more guarded in what you're talking about or, or what you're allowing someone to do um, with you. Um, you know, if, say in the hospital setting, um, you know, I know that there's something in the news recently where somebody was posing as a, as a doctor. So something like this is going to be one step closer to helping somebody say, wait, wait, wait you're, you shouldn't be here. Well, I, and I, you know, I don't want to diminish that story at all. Uh, you had a 17-year-old child who was masquerading as a physician. Uh, and he did this for several months in, in a hospital in Florida. And, you know, there's no telling how many patients this person right. interacted with. Uh, there's no telling how bad information he, he offered. I mean, it definitely wasn't uh, supported by any credential that he had earned. Um, 2020 did an expose on that several months ago. And I think uh, one of the things that really just tickled me on the inside was that 2020 said, you know, had this facility had an appropriate credentialing and badge system. And I tell you, I think I, I jumped up and clicked my heels because, you know, at that time we were having a real challenge in advancing House Bill 416. What was the pushback? Um, you know, some people felt that tags were not necessary. They felt that um, the profession could self-police. Uh, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to stress is that this was not about policing anyone. This is about offering a service to the consumer. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I, I can see it from the perspective of the patient. I, I think that um, along the way, um, I think people are w with the rise of the Internet and access to, you know, there's some good credible information available online for people who are motivated to go search for it. And so people are doing that a little bit more often now to become educated. But even still, I, I, I don't think that uh, patients and their families fully appreciate the need for self-advocacy and for asking questions and for getting educated. And so something like this, a measure like that, I think is going to be one of those things that will help them in that way. We certainly hope so. And, you know, hopefully make for a little bit safer healthcare delivery and possibly, as you talked about, some examples where there might be some savings uh, as it relates to the spend uh, sure. around that as well. Uh, we've been talking with Marcus Downs, Director of Government Relations, and Donald Palmasano, Jr., the Executive Director and CEO of Medical Association of Georgia, and, of course, Representative Rick Jaspers, um, all coming together and share a little bit of information about some of the progress that's been made as it relates to health care in the legislative year this year. And from what I understand, uh, as it relates to Medicaid, there's been some advance uh, along those lines as well that uh, if I were interpreting it correctly, and maybe I'm not, if not correct, uh, correct me, but... Um, it sounds like the, the, the advance as it relates to Medicaid may make it a little bit more accessible for patients, may make it more likely that a patient will be seeing those patients, and, or, I mean, a physician would be seeing those patients in their office, and so therefore more people are going to get care uh, as a result. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, I, I just you know want to definitely applaud the 2015 
General Assembly uh, for the work that they did. Uh, it was it was bold work. It was very necessary work. Uh, back in 2013, uh, there was monies that were appropriated that would uh, allow Medicaid payments to be on par uh, with Medicare payments. Uh, that money expired uh, December of 2014, and so we were kind of left in a in a grip. Now, I think one of the things that was really interesting about it is uh, for several months, those payments didn't kick in. It was a two-year program. Those payments didn't kick in because there was a question of who was a primary care provider, and this 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 payment parity was, was specifically for primary care providers. Uh, so I believe there was probably a six-month lag time in determining who primary care uh, physicians actually were. So who did we determine as a primary care provider? Uh, pediatricians, family practice. Uh, this year, OBGYNs were added. Okay. Uh, it, it was a little shocking that they were not included in the initial time, but, uh, you know, the, the 2015 General Assembly really got it right. And, uh, you know, they and the governor signed a bill on yesterday, uh, House Bill 76, which was the, the Appropriations Act, uh, appropriated $23 million uh, toward this Medicaid parity program to continue to operate. Uh, about $17 million of those dollars were appropriated for pediatricians, family care, uh, which the, the way that they break that down is that uh, there are certain CPT codes that are going to be reimbursed at about 90% of the current Medicare rate. So they're not going to lose at all. Uh, it's not going to be every code, sure. uh, but, you know, it is enough to make a difference. And additionally, there's going to be $4 million specifically for OBGYN services. And again, that is a huge, uh, I mean, that's very huge for the state of Georgia, given that uh, OBs were initially not included at all. Uh, the fact that the General Assembly went to the table, listened to the stakeholder groups, and, uh, and they really did what was right um, in the eyes of the patient. And going back to Representative Jasper's comment earlier about prevention, I'm sure that that measure right there is going to be one of those things that does have an impact there because as those patients that fall into the, the Medicaid uh, population, if they're more able to get access to provider care in the you know preventive phase, uh, then we may be paying for fewer of those you know, things like diabetes or heart disease, et cetera. And, and I'm high, glad. High risk, com uh, complicated pregnancies, things and like that. And I'm glad you added that because, you know, one of the things I mistakenly left out was internal medicine. So your endocrinologist, you know, you know, they will also uh, be a part of that parity program. And, uh, you know, that, that that's a nice win. I, I think it's one of those that spending a little bit on that population now will, will save us as a system down the road for Absolutely. sure. Um, and, I, and I just want to add too, you know, in the budget, you know, it's it's just a big pie, and you, yeah. you need to divide it up. And it it's is a what struggle. It is. It's yeah. a very um, hands-on combat almost at times to get to meet the needs of Georgians, and they're so vast. I mean, just some little thing like um, you know, we talk about our prescription drug monitoring program in the budget. You know, we got two hundred thousand dollars to keep it going. You know, that grant was ending. I think everyone that's involved in that says it's been effective. You know, if we can get make sure we get the information in that it's being used and it's been effective. I know Rick Allen with the drug enforcement feels very strongly that it's been effective. And, and so getting that money in, 
Well, talk a little bit more about that, Rick. Uh, um, what's it doing for us when, we're, when we talk about the prescription drug monitoring program? What are we doing? Who well, are we monitoring? Well, just those. I, I find just these facts that you find out being on these committees. And I remember writing this down. I look back through my notes that, you know, especially on these prescriptions, that either 91 prescriptions written per 100 people, you know, on the class schedule two and three drugs. And, you know, and, it, and the database out there gives a physician they'll take time to look at it and if and if the information is put into it a real good picture on what's going on with that patient especially in the prescribed drugs and I think that's one of those neat things that we've been able to do with a lot of work with the federal grant uh, to be able to let uh, everyone do that and I think it's just it's one of those good things I know that in my four years that we've done a lot on prescription drugs. So so basically what is essentially doing is it gives me as a provider, I have access to a database that I can log into. It recognizes I'm a provider and I can see if CW has already got a prescription for Percocet that he just got filled for 30 tablets, oh, day before yesterday. Yeah, and they feel that it has stopped doctor shopping. That's really cut it in half. I would imagine so. It's cut it in half and that's a big thing. And if you do five if you attempt five times, if your data is put in five times, it puts you up as a flag uh, that's notified. So those are just those critical little things that we hope will work on the addiction problem we have in Georgia. What comes from that? If I get elevated, if I'm one of those folks that I'm maybe in a bad place and I'm in that space where I'm kind of looking for a source, what happens to me if I'm flagged? I believe that your uh, pharmacist would talk to your physician. Okay. And, right. and, and go ahead if you will Oh, yeah. and, and one of the things, um, the prescription drug monitoring program, in order to make it better, and those are some, some of the challenges that we're looking at o over the next uh, legislative session, is to make it so that the doctor or the pharmacist or someone on their staff can do the checking. Because right now, it has to specifically be the doctor or specifically be the pharmacist. So from a time constraint perspective, time constraint, I'm sure exactly. not many people were actually using it. But there's been a, a, and there's also a lag time in terms of the data. And so how do we get the data more recent so that you can get real-time data to see if uh, the patient just went to um, an emergency room yesterday, then went to a physician the, the, the day right. before that, and then currently is seeing another physician bringing it to three different pharmacies for Schedule twos, And that's how you, you try to put an end to that doctor shopping and, and, yeah. and the pharmacy shopping. And I, and I think, you know, just, you know, again, to applaud the General Assembly and, and the governor for signing the bill into, into law, um, you know, this is not just a Georgia program. You know, the, the, the funding that the General Assembly appropriated actually allows Georgia's program to communicate with other states as well. Yeah, because so, I know that's one of the things that end up happening when there are uh, types of offices around where someone can go and, and get pain medicine prescribed with limited uh, effort, if you will, right. that that's what ends up happening. You see offices where there's all kinds of, uh, I know we're like in Ohio and Kentucky, there was some challenges there, for sure. example, where you would see out-of-state tags sitting oh, yeah. all over parking lots for that very reason. And so to make it more difficult to do that will be a good thing. Oh, yeah. And you had mentioned earlier, Rick, the the uh, I think it was um, the H H bill uh, House Bill 504, the one that dealt with the uh, the flu uh, protocol. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's just this vaccine administrations by pharmacists, you know. And um, 
I like how we always shorten some of these titles from what they really are so that we can kind of know them like the name tag bill. That's, that's our name for it. Not their fine. <laughs> they have a much more uh, appropriate name, but it's one of those real positive things that, that was a, the product of people working together and, you know, with the pharmacy association, medical association, people working together to come up with a protocol and the ability for pharmacists to, to add a couple more vaccines that they can give. And I think generally the, the general assembly folks, not in the weeds of the bill, look at it as access. And, you know, how can the guy who's working, um, and this is for 18 years and old uh, folks, but who's working, driving a dump truck, like up where I'm at, you know, he's, people around him are getting the flu. He's probably late. Can he get a flu vaccine? Right. Can he get a shingles? Can he get... You know, what, which other of the four that will be out there, can they get it? And, and I think this really, with their, with everybody's work, put structure in it so that they'll be in the grit system. They'll have a card that says they've done it. The pharmacists have to ask them certain questions. And I think it's a real well thought out uh, compromise, if the best word, but working together just for Georgians. And, um, and, I, and I applaud both groups for really just sitting down and, and finding a way to it. Because it's been uh, four years. We've been From what I understand, six, it was five, a bit of a contentious six, discussion. Six years, yeah. in. But, you know, in the end, I mean, we, I think everybody worked at it in all six years um, to get there and yeah. to get an appropriate uh, bill that meets everybody's needs. Did and you have I, a thought on that, Don? Go Absolutely. I mean, this this bill has been around since when I was down at the Capitol every day. Uh, the last time I was down there every day was back in 2010. But also, what we really liked about the bill from our perspective, representing physicians, is that it brought the patient back to the physician. So these, these patients that may not have gone to see their physicians, they go get their shot, and now they're directed to go back to their physician to get a checkup so that the physician may catch other things that, that may be going on with the patient, check their cholesterol, uh, other tests like that. More importantly, what it does is the pharmacist sends back notification to the physician that the immunization was given. So the phys if it's that phys you know that way the physician can track their patients and make sure that their patients are um, keeping up with their health and doing the things the preventative care that that's needed. So was one of the concerns then that if I'm if I'm able to just simply go get the vaccination, but not necessarily have information flowing back to my physician that. I may be less likely to follow up and get some of that preventive care that you're describing that I that I may circumvent and just not get checked up this year by my physician. I got my vaccination. I'm good to go. I don't need and therefore my blood pressure, my labs that could indicate I'm developing maybe some renal disease, whatever the case may be, the things that are found in those types of visits. Is that where we're going with that? Yeah, uh, the you know, our our major concern over these six years has been uh, efforts to make sure that the primary care, uh, the patient-centered medical home, remains strong and intact. And um, it was it was a challenge to ensure that a patient who had gone to get a vaccine from one of these uh, pharmacies uh, would go back to their their physician. And in many instances, uh, Representative Jasper's referenced uh, access. In many instances many patients didn't even have a, a primary care home. And so, you know, we, we worked hard to, um, to come up with ideas for that. So for instance, if, if I go to a, a pharmacy for a vaccine tomorrow, 
um, and I do not have a primary care physician. That pharmacist is now required to give me something on paper saying, hey, this is why having a primary care physician is important. You need to make sure that you see this person regularly. Coming here is not your medical care. This is a service that we offer. Um, and, you know, as, as, as Donald said earlier, it's a matter of working in concert. And, you know, to our patient-centered medical home point, uh, the physician has a role, the pharmacist has a role, everybody has a role to play. And I think with the, the development and passage of House Bill 504, I think those roles are more clearly defined now than they were six years ago. And I think that that's important for people to understand is that we're not just talking about going back to your doctor to get a visit, okay, so that the doctor can make a living. It's it's actually about having that relationship where the physician is following your care and actually looking beyond just giving you a shot so you don't get the flu this year. There, there's reasons why it makes sense, particularly if you're an adult, that you're getting followed on an annual basis or every an other year at least by a primary care physician to be evaluated. Uh, you know, So I, I think that that's important for people to realize why, why might that be of value. It's not just a, a business discussion. Absolutely. And from, from what I understand, there was a committee that was formed this year to kind of take a look at around health, health insurance and, and how that relationship flows in the state. You all want to talk a little bit about some developments on that front this year? Yeah, that, that was actually uh, an initiative that was passed in the Senate, uh, SR 561. It addresses four various issues uh, regarding insurance and insurance companies' uh, relationships with physicians. Uh, the underlying premise uh, deals with contracts and negotiations between the insurance companies and the physicians and the physicians' practices. And I've heard from many um, physician practice managers the different challenges that they have when it comes to different contractual practices. So, yes. for instance, something uh, called all products clauses, uh, which essentially a uh, physician enters into contract with insurer A. Insurer A says, you know, I've got five products. What do you want to What do you want to offer in your practice? And as a physician, I decide, you know, well, I want to offer two. Uh, maybe four or five months down the road, the insurer comes back and says, well, you know what, I need you to take all five. And if you don't take all five, I can either kick you out of network. I was going to say, you're out of the network. Yeah. I can either uh, let you continue to take those two, and you take a decreased payment for those two, uh, or you can just do what I ask you to do. And often the physician in their practice is placed in a take-it-or-leave-it posture. Uh, so if they do not take it, then the extra people that they've hired, then the, the extra services that they are now offering based on that new contractual price might now be called into compromise. And, you know, one of the things that we really want to make sure people understand, uh, physicians are not out to make money hand over fist. They're out to provide care. Uh, now, that does not take away from the fact that um, Georgia physicians and independent practice provide for about 100,000 jobs here in Georgia and over a billion dollars of revenue and state, state and local revenue. Uh, so they are an economic driver to the state. You know, they, yeah, they, particularly in the rural areas, from what I understand, they can be very key employers. Absolutely. And so when their business models are kind of left blowing in the wind, it makes it very difficult for them to make business decisions that impact not only uh, the individuals receiving care and their ability to have continued care, but it also impacts the bottom line and Georgians and General Assembly's ability to, to pass appropriations budgets as strongly as they did yesterday. And I'll just throw out, too, I think you know, what, what Marcus was talking about are the study committees that go on through the summer 
you know, this is one of them, you know, in the house we have probably five or six others and it gives us our opportunity to really take summertime, five or six meetings, bring people in, look at an issue and study it. And outside of the 40 day crunch when there's just so much going on and I really appreciate them. Um, even you know, we had a lot of them this year and I mean, you know, just, a, I think they're 20 of all different things in the state of Georgia, but just in healthcare, we've got one on you know, fibroids, awareness and education, school-based health clinics and uh, their impact and expansion maybe in children's mental health care, community-based um, uh, intellectual and developmentally disabled services, uh, provisions for indigent and charity health care services and the welfare fraud study committee. So there's a lot of different things. And so you'll think about all of those six There'll be some legislation emerge out of a couple of those that's worthwhile that we can really look at. And so study committees are important. It really gives us pause and ability to look at information. So this 40-day job that we have as legislators, that's a joke. Because <laughs> <laughs> it ends up being a whole lot more than that. Well, yeah, there's a little there's a little work that has to go on behind uh, those 40 days or ahead of those 40 days to uh, to make the 40 days actually productive. So, And I, and I know that... MAG and other organizations, you know, someone said, what's looking like in 16? Well, everybody's looking at the future and healthcare is one of these dynamic changing industries and businesses that they're changes. And, you know, they're looking at ideas that they haven't made us aware of yet. A lot of folks have, and then they'll surprise us in December or <laughs> sometime. And that's what makes this job interesting is you have to really get on it and then learn about it and make sure you're doing the right thing. I know that there, since we last had you on, there had been some progress. We were talking the last time you were here about the sustainable growth rate and, and Medicare. You want to talk a little bit about that because there was some movement. Yes, there have been some big changes and, and some big wins since the last time we, we were discussing this issue. Uh, it was actually the day before we had uh, requested the physicians contact the U.S. senators and ask them to uh, to vote to repeal the sustainable growth rate. Um, and move forward with a new payment system under Medicare so that, um, so that patients and, and, and uh, the elderly generation can, can still get to their, uh, get to their physicians and, and to keep their care. And so one of the big changes is that um, H.R. 2 passed and it was signed by the president, so now it goes into effect. So what does that mean? Um, after 17 patches and almost 20 years, um, physicians will have stability in payments. Instead of every few few months saying that you're gonna, physicians are going to be facing a 21, 25, 30% cut, that is no longer the case. The SGR formula is now gone. It's been very challenging as you, you, when you get a letter saying uh, that, that reimbursement, the rate you saw yesterday is different as of uh, – you know, two weeks from now. Exactly. It's like building a budget <laughs> and then being told a few yeah. months into it, guess what? You're going to take a it's, 21% hit. Yeah, that's a good thing. And so there, there's been some changes. Um, there, there's stability in payments to keep uh, physicians in private practice um, and, and on a fee-for-service model with a, for the next four and a half years with a half a percent increase each year, but also to encourage physicians who uh, want to try alternative payment models, whether they be in groups or employed settings, to um, there's an increase in payment there. All the penalties that are associated with a physician taking Medicare, those penalty programs will phase out after 2017, and then it will be one uh, one program going forward that will be more of a carrot versus a stick on some of these issues because the penalties were really increasing and could get into double digits for physicians. 
the mo- one of the mo- more important phys- uh, provisions, and we like to say they took it from Georgia, mm-hmm. was uh, what we what, what the General Assembly passed and uh, Governor Deal signed in uh, two years ago, 2013, was called the Provider Shield Bill. And in that Provider Shield, what it basically said was that any um, public or private payer programs, how they come up with these rules and regulations, those could not be used as the standard of care in a medical liability lawsuit because th- they're essentially just ways to either pay or not pay a bill. They right. have nothing to do with standard of care. Right. But some of the provisions that have been coming out of like the Affordable Care Act and some of the other uh, changes at the federal level, like uh, dealing with uh, physician quality reporting standards or meaningful use, some of those standards could be, deter- could be interpreted to be um, a challenge to a cause of action um, against a physician. And so what this SGR repeal bill did was to insert uh, language that was similar to what uh, the General Assembly in Georgia passed um, into the federal language so that physicians can have peace of mind when dealing with these federal payment programs that those standards will not be used as the standard of care. So looks like a, Georgia was definitely a leader yeah. on medical liability reform. So we're, we're very proud um, to be uh, associated with that. Yeah, that's pretty cool, being uh, innovators as it relates to how we're handling our health care legislation and reimbursement plans. That's pretty cool. And, 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 and for that provider shield piece, uh, we, uh, Georgia was the first state in the country to pass that bill. And, um, and actually, it, it shows you the value of compromise. We actually worked with the trial attorneys um, on that uh, particular piece of legislation because it was to ensure that fairness remains in the judicial system and that the standard of care is determined by physicians and not anybody else as, as, as it relates to the standard of care for their patients. Any other uh, things that we didn't get a chance to talk to yet in the last couple of minutes here before we have to let you all get back to what you do? Well, I just want to throw out that you know, there's as physicians listen to this, uh, that I hope during the summer, the fall, the winter, you know, that they take time throughout the state to get to know their representative and their senator. That they take, you know, call them up. You know, you're busy folks, just as we are, but to invite them to eat lunch. When, you know, when, when the uh, drug folks are bringing lunch in, invite them to have come eat lunch with them. Meet their, their office personnel, the folks that work for them. Take that, that 30 minutes to share with that legislator their issues, and so they get to know them, so that they can have that personal conversation with them when an issue comes up that they need their ear for. You know, it's just tough when, you, when you're down in Atlanta and you've got, you know, two and three, four hundred emails coming in a day, you know, lots of phone calls, but if one comes in from somebody you know, yep. somebody you've, got a, you've created a relationship with in your community, makes a world of difference and and in our busy lives i i wish people would do that more i encourage teachers all the time they need to get to know don't call me up and tell me how bad i am for doing this but learn me and learn what's the us. best way to go about doing that hey they live in their communities i saw my uh, one of my family physicians at church on sunday and he put his arm around me and said i need to take you to lunch right. we got to talk and, and i think that's one good way or just call them up at the Capitol Office, or they know their home phone. You know, we're all community people, and just call them and say, "Hey, can you come, come with me, set a date, and just have a few issues you want to talk to them about?" And they'll be listening and learning, and they'll call me if they don't know, or they'll call Chairman Cooper uh, to find out more information for them. 
Well, share with everybody how they can go about getting in touch with you, whether it's like you like you just described, um, whether it's local here in Atlanta or, or where you would want folks to be able to reach oh, out to you, and I'll then we'll do the same for uh, the oh, Mac easy. folks. Mine's easy. I'm just rick at rickjaspers.org, and it's J-A-S-P-E-R-S-E dot you org. And, you know, and, and we, all of us operate by cell phones and email, and, are, and it's the best way to get up with us. And uh, I'm a problem solver. That's what I do the best. That's what my career was, and and looking at issues and trying to find solutions, and and that's what I enjoy doing. I mean, it's, that's the fun part of the legislative uh, job is to people that have problems with state government, whether it be in healthcare or whatever, to uh, search out those solutions. But easiest way is the uh, online Georgia House of Representatives. They can find their legislator okay. very easily. Um, the easiest way really is to call Marcus. <laughs> yeah, because he, can, he, can put he knows you in touch with all. everybody and give you he probably get, some numbers they don't want you giving out. Cell number. You know, he, can, <laughs> he is their he is their contact. Getting some text and they, late at and night. they ought to use him. I mean, I hope that they do use him. That's right. Because he has built a relationship with many of us and knows how to get a hold of us, and we can work together. Facebook, Twitter, any of those that you're oh yeah operating yeah, on. Yeah. We'll tie in with all of those. How oh, about yeah. you? How about you, Donald and Marcus? Absolutely. I, uh, my Twitter account is D Palmisano Mag. So that's D P A L M I S A N O M A G. Um, and also uh, the Mag Twitter account is at Mag1849. And if you just go to the Top Docs uh, Twitter account, I've been actually tweeting as we've been sitting here. And, yeah, so you'll be able to find and, him there. And actually <laughs> mentioning uh, uh, Representative Jaspers on there also. So that information, just uh, go to any of those three sources, and you'll be able to get the three of our Twitter accounts. And yes. if, you haven't, if you've been listening but you haven't tied into the show yet, it's Top Docs on BRX on both Facebook and Twitter. We tie in with all of our guests so that uh, they can continue to get access to the information that they all put out. Um, any other questions? Uh, contact information or, or points that you all want to share. we got a couple minutes left. Sure. Uh, you can contact Marcus Downs at mdowns at mag.org. And I do want to say that I'm so glad Representative Jasper shared that because, you know, Donald and I are policy wonks, and, you know, we can explain what something means and what the repercussions could be, what the consequences could be. But there's nothing like the physician back home uh, for Representative Jaspers to hear from them. And, uh, you know, that is just, it speaks more volumes than we could ever speak. And, of course, obviously, if our listeners are physicians in the state and you're not yet involved with Medical Association of Georgia, get involved. They, they definitely want your input. They definitely want your feedback on issues that you're facing and that uh, are impacting your way of delivering health care to the patients that you serve. So uh, you do have a voice with your association here. I've, I've met with these folks over time here for the past year, and I, I know that they really want all of the physicians that they're advocating for here in Georgia to, uh, to have their voice heard. So you know, get involved, whether it's just uh, sending in some feedback periodically, uh, getting some great information through their uh, town hall sessions that they host, uh, sharing information and newsletters and more. Um, get involved with Medical Association of Georgia if you're not already, and uh, you know perhaps even step into uh, a leadership role at some point if you're so motivated. So uh, hopefully, uh, if you're not today, then you'll be able to figure out how you might link in with them and uh, play a role in all the things that we've been talking about today. So clearly, it's got far-reaching implications. So. Representative Jaspers, thanks so much for taking some time to, uh, to to meet with us today and share your information from your perspective on, on the side of healthcare legislation. So we really appreciate your time. 
Thank you. And then, of course, Donald and Marcus, I really uh, always enjoy having you all here. I look forward to having you back and getting some more great information about what we got going on coming down the road. Thank you so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And for uh, all you folks that uh, took the time to make us a part of your day, we hope you turn around and hit share on the podcast once we get it up because uh, there's going to be folks out there that can really benefit from hearing what we had to say today. And uh, make sure you make an appointment to see us same time, same place next week. We will see you then. 